0: Entrepreneurs have to take the red pill every day, <laughs> because if you don't, then um, you won't be successful. You have to look at at that in uh, that raw truth of where you're at, um, and not shy away from it. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Future of Work. the podcast that looks at, you've guessed it, the future of work. It's brought to you by Wonder for their blog Chaos and Rocket Fuel. Wonder are productivity and human behavior specialists who use technology to help us humans on our digital journey from disruption to transformation. Find out more at their website that's Wndyr.com. I'm Doug Folkes and along with Wonder CEO Claire Haydar, we regularly meet up with industry experts and mavericks to get their take on work in the future. In today's conversation, we meet Lee Ellemeyer, a serial entrepreneur, author, visual artist, and explorer. Lee has spent her 25 years plus career in startup and small tech companies focused on bringing disruptive technologies to software and healthcare markets. She's currently the CEO of 2C MedTech and resides in Dallas, Texas. Lee's memoir, Finding the Exit, is the story of overcoming a tragic beginning and finding success in the hyper-competitive world of technology startups, where, from an early age, she's had to navigate the highs and lows of the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Join us now as we ride along with her. Lee, I'm going to start off just by saying um, hello and welcome. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm going to take you back in time to your childhood, and I'm going to ask you to share the top three lessons that you're, you learned in childhood all about business.
0: Sure. Um, so uh, growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur and uh, he showed me as a kid um, what the freedom uh, was like being an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that was the one, the one thing probably that appealed the most to him was um, having that independence and freedom and being able to chart his own course. So my, my early look at entrepreneurship um, and business was that um, you know it was it was fun um, and when I was sixteen, uh, my father died unexpectedly. Uh, he had a sudden heart attack. Um, I would say brought on by the stress of being an entrepreneur. Um, this was back in the very late seventies, early eighties. Uh, if you roll back in time uh, the economy was not doing very well in the US. Um, we had a lot of issues with interest rates. Um, they were up in the you know, sometimes 20 to 22%. Um, and my dad was a real estate entrepreneur. And so anybody back in that time who was leveraged had a lot of issues and that included my dad. He owned hotels and um, apartment buildings, uh, restaurants, self-storage, lots of different types of businesses. He did something that was not legal. Um, He started floating money between banks and he was uh, caught by the FBI and they were looking to prosecute him when he had a heart attack and he died. And so the lesson that I learned from that was don't ever cheat a government agency, um, know that, uh, you know, things can go, things can go wrong and, uh, you have options in the way that you respond. You know, my dad's response was to do everything that he could to keep his, his empire alive. And, uh, and it ended up killing him. And the consequence for me was that I ended up without a home and, uh, I decided then that I would never want to be an entrepreneur because I just didn't want to take those kinds of risks. I met another entrepreneur when my mom remarried. Uh, His name was Wayne and he was a rancher. I ended up going to work for Wayne when I was uh, 19 years old. I learned from Wayne that I could do anything that I set my mind to. So even though I grew up in Nebraska, I wasn't really a farm girl. So I, I took this job on Wayne's ranch And uh, he taught me to do things that I never thought that I could do, and and I was afraid to do. But his attitude was, you know what, just try it. Just see how it goes, and if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else. Um, And there are very few things that are, you know, you can't recover from. And that gave me a lot of confidence uh, in myself and in my ability to navigate through things that were pretty frightening. You know, like I'd never driven heavy equipment or, you know, welded, Uh, I ended up uh, riding horses um, to do work and I had never, other than, you know, like summer camp, ridden a horse. So um, my childhood was, (laughs) I guess, a mixed bag of lessons. The most important ones I think came later on and those were that, you know, it's worth risking um, to have that kind of freedom and if you just keep going, if you just keep trying, and if you don't give up, and if you don't let the fear just stop you at the, the door frame, um, you can make some pretty amazing things happen.
2: I just love hearing these stories from you. As you know, um, I couldn't put your book down, and you know many of these are in there, and that's why I really just wanted to start the show going right into those lessons. So thank you for sharing them with us and getting us started today. So, you know, going back to the book that I've just mentioned, um, one of the things that made it so hard to put down for me when I, when I read your book was it's, it's your candidness, you're just so raw and absolutely real about the facts. Has this extremely candid approach to life been something that's just come naturally to you, or is it something that you're very deliberate about on a day-to-day basis?
0: Um, I, I would say that I'm very deliberate about it at, at, this, uh, at this juncture of my life. One of the things that is in my book um, is that I'm an alcoholic. And um, one of my responses to my father's uh, death was to just you know fall into drinking at, <laughs> as a teenager. And I got sober when I was 20. And one of the things that I learned going through rehab was that I had to stay in reality and you know I had to be emotionally real and I had to be honest with myself Um, and that extended to being honest with other people and not um, not being ashamed of who I was or what I was going through that you know posturing wasn't going to be helpful. Entrepreneurs have to take the red pill every day (laughs) Um, Mm. because if you don't then um, you won't be successful. You just, you just won't. You have, to, you have to look at, at that in uh, that raw truth of where you're at um, and not shy away from it. But also in doing it, you realize that you're stronger than you thought, that you can face it. You know, there is no reality that is so bad that you cannot confront it, I don't think.
2: The reason why I wanted to bring this whole, you know, being very deliberate about reality is I genuinely believe it's one of the most critical skill sets that the future is going to demand from particularly young people. When AI filters into work and, you know, when it becomes automation becomes such a significant part of our lives that it's actually going to feel like a colleague in the office with us, we're not going to be, be able to hide from reality the way many times we can today still, you know, because we don't have that level of automation.
0: What are your thoughts on that? I think that it, it's a really interesting place where we're at right now. Um, you know, where where do, do we as humans um, draw our boundaries? <laughs> right? mm. what, what, what belongs uniquely to us? Um, and while we see a lot of you know, interesting th- things happening with machine learning, I think there's something that's very specific about um, our ability to you know sort through all the different inputs that we get and and decide what our reality is, um, because as we know, it can actually be many different things based on the lens mm-hmm. of perception, right um, and I, th- I think, I hope that we never lose the ability to uh, determine that for ourselves and bring that, that clarity to the workplace. Um, because, you know, one of the things that, that humans do is, I mean, we, we, we view everything in many ways through the lenses of the past and our emotions. Um, you know, so what, what is real? Lee, let's move on. You're
1: an entrepreneur, therefore you create work. You've also spoken to us about grounding yourself in reality and and the reality that we've all had to become accustomed to is a new one. What do you see coming up as the hardest parts about job creation in this new reality we find ourselves in?
0: I think it's hard in, in this environment right now where everybody's working remotely. Um, I mean, on one hand, certainly there are benefits because you're not sitting in the car, you're not dealing with traffic. Maybe you're a little bit less stressed out. Maybe you're a little more stressed (laughs) out because you're homeschooling children. Um, But I I think that um, remote work has always been something that people have thought would be good for them. Um, I think people are probably getting a little bit of a different viewpoint on it right now because they're experiencing it firsthand and realizing when you work from home, it's very hard to have separation between where's my home and where's my work. Um, so where I think it becomes complicated for people is, you know, a lot of work happens around collaboration that is not planned. You know, you run into somebody in the break room and you start talking about, hey, what do you think about this? You know, or you overhear a conversation in the hallway and it gets you, you know, thinking about, oh, well, what if you did it that way? Um, so I, I think that 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 part is missing. And I don't know how you ever recreate that in a digital world. So when it comes to you know, job creation in this economy, I think it's particularly tough for kids who are just coming into the workforce because they don't have all the experience that we had going into remote work. I think for employers like myself, it presents a bigger challenge because now we really have to work hard to make sure that people are included, they're up to speed, they feel engaged, they're not disconnected. In some businesses with other CEO friends that I have, they've just put their hiring on hold because they don't, they don't trust that they can bring people in and make them productive in the environment right now. I think it's a big challenge and it's going to remain that for a while.
2: This new reality that we find ourselves in is completely altering and changing the employee-employer relationship. And I wanted to ask you, you know, if you look back on how you grew teams before, what were the guiding principles that you used back before we were in this like truly remote reality that we're in now? And do you think they're going to change vastly because of the new reality we're in.
0: Of course, I always look for people who are qualified, but I'm also interested in people who are naturally curious and who've done a lot of different things. You know, so I would rather have somebody who's had four different jobs that were a little bit different than somebody who's only done the one thing. Because I think that when you've done different things, uh, you can come in or, or, or have been in different industries, so to speak, you can bring that new perspective into what you're doing um, and, and be a change agent, you know? And in entrepreneurial companies, you need that. Of course, in mm-hmm. some hiring, uh, you want people that are very experienced. So I would say like, you know, accounting and finance, and um, that's, that's one thing. But uh, I'm talking more sales, marketing, product development. I actually love hiring entrepreneurs who have failed. You know they've gone out, they tried to do something, they took the initiative and and maybe it you know didn't work out for for whatever reason, because I know that they're going to come at it with the right mindset, and I also like uh people who are just curious i mean I don't think you you can't teach curiosity you know I also ask people a lot about their decision making you know okay, you decided to do this. Tell me about a decision you made in your in your career. Why did you make that decision? To understand, you know, what are the parameters that they're looking at? How are they thinking about it? Because again, to me, good decision making—I uh, don't—I've I've never learned how to teach that to somebody. So if I can get an employee in who has, you know, good baseline skills, good decision making, they're naturally curious. One of the things that I know about them is that they're going to engage, and they're going to let me know what they don't know. That's the one thing that I think people struggle with is, okay, I I want to seem competent, but I don't really know everything. And I'm the first person who will raise my hand and say, I have no idea. Let's find out. (laughs) Um, So I need people who are willing to do that. And I think that's particularly important in this remote work environment. Don't pretend like you know what you're doing if you don't.
1: It's quite interesting because we started this podcast last year and it was called The Future of Work. You could argue that The future of work is now the present of work what do you think looking forward the new future of work would look like
0: i think the future of of work will um, definitely include a lot more automation hopefully focusing people on the things where having uh, you know human interaction human discernment uh, is most important and you know things that are not uh, not, don't require that, do become more you know, automated, can be taken on in some capacity through machine learning, um, that we have a combination of remote and in-person work. I think that there is something invaluable that happens when people get together. Um, I think we've all learned over the past uh, you know, six months through Zoom, different Zoom meetings that uh, it, while it, it's great to see people's faces and hear the tenor of their voice, so much communication happens, you know, with your body and the small micro expressions that you know, don't necessarily come through um, on a on a Zoom connection. And so, I I think that there will always be a component of face to face. I think that the future of work has actually been accelerated through this. Um, companies have seen that they can have remote employees; that there is benefit there. Um, you know on on lots of levels, you know certainly from a cost perspective, um, you know not having to to put somebody in a in an office and realizing things like you know i don 't have to maybe have all my salespeople traveling all the time that they can do some of this remotely, um, that we can be more efficient and save on some of that you know downtime, I think it'll be a very interesting evolution and uh, and i ho- what I hope happens is that. We get to the point where we can spend our time doing what we can uniquely do we 've run a, a fully
2: virtual company you know way before the pandemic ever hits us and we received so much flack um, from so many people, particularly the investment community about it um, but it's just it 's something that we resolutely have stuck to and I think You've just summarized like one of the things that we found with the like, magical components of, of running a virtual team is that fact that you allowing people to blend their lives in such a way that they can really focus in and hone in on the things that they're really, really good at. You've recently, well, I shouldn't say recently, because you've been at it for um, quite a few months now, and I've been the recipient of one of your beautiful pieces of art, but you've recently really started exploring art, and, and in particular, painting. What are you learning um, through this, this new medium that you're exploring, and is it teaching you anything about business specifically?
0: I'll tell you what has been so magical for me about painting, and that is I feel like I have just expanded my creative muscles in doing it. And by doing that, I am better in my, my job, in my approach, in my ability to look at things. Um, as you know, in a startup company, when you're working on projects, uh, some things just take forever. To get to a conclusion and sometimes it never concludes. Um, mm-hmm. When you paint a painting you can start with a <laughs> blank canvas of whatever size you choose and you can paint and decide at some point I like that I'm done and you can look at something that's complete um, and so for me I when I do that as I'm painting, it's a, like a meditative experience. And I am thinking about you know business in the back of my head, my brain is working and I frequently come out of it with really good ideas. So I think it's, it's an opportunity to uh, flex the creative muscle. And I also like the fact that I don't have to uh, deliver it in any kind of a performance way, right? <laughs> no, <it's... laughs> Uh, uh, A lot of my paintings I have uh, donated uh, or have given to people in um, exchange for donations to the North Texas Food Bank. That's been really fun to feel like what I'm doing, A, it's going to beautify somebody's space that they're now kind of stuck in during the pandemic, but also uh, money is going to be going to a very worthy cause.
2: That's beautiful. I actually didn't know that you were doing that and it's, it's an amazing way to, you know, um, factor the, the charity
0: factor into that. Love that you're doing that. Like I've had college students reach out and say, oh my gosh, via Instagram, I really love your painting, but I know I can't afford it. And I had one, one girl in Washington, I said, you know what, do you have some canned food in your pantry? Because if you're willing to go and donate that to your local food bank, I will send you this painting. And she was so happy. Wow. She posted the picture of it in her in her apartment, and uh, you know. So for me, it's about touching people and um, you know, hoping to bring some beauty into the universe.
2: And I think the piece that I love the most about what virtual work gifts us is that reclaiming of dead time. Which, you know, you can sit in, in traffic for two hours and listen to podcasts and nourish your mind and stuff like that. There's always ways to kind of recycle that, that last time. But I think if we start getting really deliberate about it and the reason why, you know, what you were saying kind of like triggered that whole train of thought in me was it gives us the opportunity to really stand back and say, how can I start contributing again? Because we had kind of gotten into this like rat race of, you know, Work and just everything bundled around it, and then coming home and having to deal with everything at home. And there wasn't that expansive space where we could really be in community with each other. And I'm definitely, just like you have shared with us now, you know, how how you've built that back into your life. I'm seeing it. You're not the first person that I'm hearing this from. You know, it's kind of like I'm hearing it in conversations everywhere. You know, it's sparking up. It's like, I, I actually am really thinking about this time that I have and what I'm gonna do with it.
0: A couple of things have happened for me that have opened up that opportunity um, to do things like write and to paint. Um, my, my only child has graduated from college and is out into the world. Um, and I find that um, you know, that has given me a lot of time. Um, I mean, I do things like, you know, have meals delivered. Um, You know, I, I used to go to the gym a lot. I stopped going during the pandemic, but I live on a nature trail. So I make a point of going out and running every day. I can just step out the door. And I have saved that time because I was, you know, it was 15 minutes to the gym and back. So there's, you know, 30 mm-hmm. minutes a day. But I, I, I'm also at the point in my life where I ask myself, hey, what is it that I wish to leave behind? What's my legacy to my? I mean, I'm not that old, but you know, what, what, what do I really want to do? What are those things that mm-hmm. um, I pushed to the side because I was so 100% focused on work? And is there a way to, you know, have a little bit more balance? I mean, as an entrepreneur. It's never going to be the kind of balance that I think you have if you have a quote-unquote regular job. But there are some areas where you can reclaim your time. And I think it's important to do it.
1: Lee, what are you working on at the moment That's that maybe has come out of your extra brain time through painting?
0: So we started a new company, uh, and that has been pretty, pretty fantastic. Um, one of the things that we didn't touch on, but I will just touch on it briefly, is my very last company before this one, uh, we had created a product that required FDA approval. And we worked with seven year, for seven years with FDA to define a regulatory path and to do what they asked us to do in order to get the product approved. And at the very last minute, they elected not to approve our product. You know, seven years and almost $30 million later. So that was devastating and in very short order, it went from, um, you know, no approval to losing our financing to having to declare insolvency for the company. And that was the first really big failure that I've ever had. You know, I, I, as an entrepreneur, I've had many situations where things were, I'll call it a near death experience, but I'd never had a company fail completely with no ability to save it, zero. Um, And I spent about a week um, in a very bad place, pretty much talking to the FDA in my head all the time. And I would add, um, Clara knows this, that same week the company uh, was, we had to declare insolvency, my mother died. So it was a lot of immediate loss and People talk a lot about success as entrepreneurs. Fewer people will delve into that failure. Um, and, and one of the things that I came to realize is you know, the, the, the day that, that we were um, denied FDA approval, it could have gone either way. And I would have been the same person whether they had said yes or no. So them saying no and the the waterfall of events that happened um while i felt like a failure the truth of the matter was i was still the same person i had been before and i wouldn't have been a success either if it had been a yes do you know what i mean like we are who we are in our core Mm. Uh, one of the things that i had been working on in the summer was uh, helping a couple of german orthodontists who had an idea for this new company and product get a a structure built and we invested in it and also helped them get some money raised and right around the time our fda approval didn't happen and the company spiraled downward this new company uh, got funded and they approached me and said well hey we were going to you know work with this other ceo but we'd really love to have you do it and I thought, well, I, because I originally thought, well, maybe I should take a little time off and, you know, decompress and think about it. And I thought, what, I'm going to spend the next month talking to the FDA in my head. Maybe I'll just jump into this. Um, so we have a new ortho, we started a new orthodontic company with a really cool product for um, aesthetic orthodontics. And then when the pandemic hit, we started focusing on um, this new technology for continuous air and surface pathogen reduction basically air and surface cleaning in a very green, proactive way that isn't a filtration system, it's not heavy chemicals, um, and bringing that into dentistry. And that's been really fun. I've sold the product to airports, to uh, you know, different types of businesses, to people to put it in their home, uh, because it's, it's just a fantastic technology. And uh, I think it's making a big difference during the pandemic. And so I feel like we're you know helping people get back to work to protect their employees and their their loved ones and their customers that come into their space um and you know again doing it in a very green um non-chemical uh way
1: that's incredible
0: Lee
2: we're heading towards the end of our time together if you were to leave one thought that's kind of like really stuck with you and that you know has been a very big light bulb for you Uh, through this failure that you've just navigated with the FDA, you know, and combine that with everything else that you've, that, you've had to navigate in the last few months. What is that? What is it that you would like to leave with our listeners?
0: I would say that it is to know who you are and to know that what happens to you is not who you are, that, um, you have a core, um, and if you can accept who you are and come to the world with vulnerability and openness and, um, being candid that, uh, that's how, I think that's how we honor ourselves and we can put forth our best work whether it's in a virtual environment or it's um, you know, in, in a room full of people. Um, I think that's how people, people connect with you as a leader if you're willing to be honest and to tell mm-hmm. them you know, your own vulnerabilities. And it opens it up for them to be vulnerable and for, you know, the more real you can get, I think the more successful you can get. You can understand, you know, problems at a better level. You can understand why people are struggling and how you can help each other. So, um, you know, that's, that's at least been my, my guiding principle um, as, as, a, as a leader is to just be honest, to put it out there, to be forthright, um, and to expose those vulnerabilities, because when people see you being vulnerable, you basically give them permission to not be perfect. And, and the more we can understand about the you know the mechanisms that make our businesses successful, um, and understand what's working and what's not working, then you know the faster we can serve you know our customers better, right? Because at the end of the day. We are here to build value for our, our, our all of our stakeholders, our employees, mm-hmm. our customers, and our investors um, and the way I think we do that is through transparency, honesty, vulnerability, um, and not being not being afraid to fail. I mean, I will tell you that I was terrified of failure last year at this time as we were coming into this thing with FDA. I mean, just terrified. It felt like the world would end and it did not. And in fact, now here I am, you know, 11 months later in a position where I think we're doing a lot of good in the world. And maybe I wouldn't have been in the position to do the good that I'm doing if uh, I hadn't had that failure.
1: The, I've got one last question, if you don't mind, and it's really around building, building teams. Obviously, as an entrepreneur through your career, you've built many teams. Um, going forward, maybe with your, your latest venture, it'd be an opportunity to build another team, and I'm assuming it would be more uh, in a digital realm. Is
0: there anything you would
1: change or innovate around that process of building a digital team?
0: I think I'm, I'm really learning how to build a digital team uh, successfully. I wouldn't say that I'm there yet, um but we are we are we are definitely uh, you know working on it, bringing new tools into the company, um, trying to help people manage their time. Um, I, I think that everybody that I've ever managed has had time management issues, you know, trying to figure out how to focus um, how to uh, deploy their time in a way that will you know, move the, I uh, hate to use analogies, <laughs> to move the, you know, move the ball forward in their own realm of the company. Um, and so I think as a manager, at building a team digitally, um, I'm still trying to figure out how I can be there for them proactively because, you know, this whole idea that someone's going to come to you every time they're struggling um, is, you know, it, people don't. Right. So how can I know when people aren't where they need to be and be able to proactively intervene with them and make make them feel good about coming to me? You know, having good metrics, having good software tools, um, making sure people know that the expectation is that we're all going to make mistakes um, and that they need to be open about that, and then having ways to actually see those in real time and intervene uh, when we can. I think all of that um, is my challenge over the next uh, couple of years, because I think digital is going to continue to be the way uh, teams grow.
2: Lee, it's just been so good chatting to you. Um, Thank you for taking this time. Thank you for investing it into
0: us and can't wait to listen to the recording. Absolutely, thank you guys very much, I appreciate it.
1: Lee, thank you, very nice to meet you. Good luck with your, your future ventures there in the, the dental environment. Ah, thank you. You don't get more real than that. A wealth of experience from the entrepreneurial coalface. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it of value, please don't be a stranger. Make sure you pop back for more top-of-mind conversations. Just a reminder, for more information about Wonder and the integration services they supply, you can visit their website. That's WNDYR.com. And so, from me, Doug folks and Chaos and Rocky Fuel... Stay safe, and we'll see you soon.